0: The young the in New but I remember very well through
1: Senator Joseph Connolly, who came from the same <coughs> part of Ireland as I did, the glens of Antrim, and um, who arranged the matter? I had an interview with Mr. De Valera many years ago. To be to be, to be exact, exact, nineteen thirty-four, and uh, it was the night of the budget, and, and officials were coming in him, into him to his room, and he was pushing them aside, and he, he, he talked about something. He talked about his youth, and when he was a boy, that he had heard folk tales told in English, of course in County Limerick. And he went on talking, and then I couldn't... It was a tense moment for me, and I said, Excuse me, sir, I don't speak the language of diplomacy. I have just one thing to say to you. The material is there, it's dying, and you know it. You're interested in the Irish language, as I am. And I think it was about time something was done to put on paper or to record in some way. The old tradition of a silent people, who as I said a moment ago, had so much to say. So please, take that pen in your hand and write, let it be done, and I'll do it, get other people to help me. And that's how the folklore commission
2: started. Seamus Audilargo, sometime honorary director of an Commission Bell the Folklore Commission, and former Professor of Irish Folklore at University College Dublin. The man who guided the commission in its task of saving for posterity the richest folk heritage in Western Europe. A post he held until recently, when the distinguished Swedish folklorist, Dr Bo Almquist, took over the helm.
3: Collections have been going on for a long time now. I think that some people may think that the collections are ended, but actually I believe that that is not so. I think that collections should go on, very much on the same lines that has has always uh, been done. And we are very happy to have all our staff of full-time collectors still uh, with us.
2: The Folklore Commission was established in 1935. Its work was outstanding. It was a model for other European folklore institutes. Its primary purpose was not the arousal of interest in folklore, though it did that, its job was to collect as much as possible of the enormously rich folk tradition while it still survived. This it succeeded in doing to a remarkable degree. All credit to the great precursors of the 19th and of the early part of the present century, Croker, the Wilds, the Dublin University magazine, Patrick Kennedy, Joseph Lloyd, Douglas Hyde, Henry Morris, all credited them for individual efforts in saving the folklore of Ireland. But it needed a concerted effort to harvest it in bulk Indiscriminately, even before it was too late. Fortunately, there were men of vision in the Ireland of the mid twenties when the resurgence started.
1: But it all started with the folk Society, and that society started because two men met once in Dublin. One was Fianna McCollum and the other was Padraig MacManus. Padraig MacManus. was a wealthy Irishman taught as an Iceland teacher at one time through some disagreement or other with his superiors decided to emigrate and he went to Bolivia and the Argentine and made money and was most generous with any um, Irish enterprise which he thought would be of advantage to the Irish people. He was a friend of Finan McCollum's and I think the occasion was when the two met in, I speak open to correction now, in Jury's Hotel in Dublin and Finan put Martin into a corner as he did with many other people before and afterwards and said listen it's about time we had something was done here to ca- record the story of the Irish people, the oral tradition of Ireland. Many people, of course, before that time had the same idea, but uh, nothing had happened. There was never a society There uh, were attempts from time to time, which I have records, of, to found a society, to collect the tradition of Ireland, but nothing... Nothing very much had come of it. And then a number of individuals, especially those associated with the Gaelic League, Joseph Lloyd and others. And um, they had, over the years, collected material and published it. And a great deal of credit is due to the, the Gaelic League for the work done in that particular field. But the man who started the Irish Folklore Society, or rather as Dr. Hyde preferred the title to be the Folklore of Ireland Society. He suggested it. The man who really started it all was Finon. And the occasion was the meeting of two old friends in Jewish Hotel, and Finon put McManus into a corner and said, Listen, something's got to be done. And McManus said, How much, Finon? He had said it often before. So he gave a hundred pounds. And with a hundred pounds and faith, this long-neglected enterprise, the Folklore of Arms Society was founded.
2: Helped by de Valera in 1935, the real work began. The new Folklore Commission lost no time in starting its invaluable work. The Commission's field of inquiry was a wide one, as can be seen from its system of classification of the material collected. Settlement and dwelling, livelihood and household support, communications and trade, The Community and Household Life, Nature, Folk Medicine, Time, Principles and Rules of Popular Belief and Practice, Mythological Tradition, Historical Tradition, Religious Tradition, Popular Oral Literature, Sports and Pastimes. These main headings were divided and subdivided in the mechanics of classification into hundreds of subsidiary heads. Jean O'Sullivan was the Commission's archivist. At that
4: time, I was a student in University College, and Professor De offered me a post under the new commission if I agreed to go to Sweden to study the methods used in the cataloguing of folklore at the University of Uppsala. So I went there in the month of March 1935, and stayed there until July. I had to learn some Swedish, but got great help from all the staff at the archive. Then when I came back in July, 1935, Professor De and I were busy for some years, uh, picking out full-time and part-time collectors who would do the work in the field. Then we saw, by 1937, that small as Ireland is on the map, it is really a very, very big country when you set out to go collecting folklore. So uh, we evolved a scheme by which we could use the children in the primary schools, the children in the senior classes. We approached the Department of Education, who were extremely agreeable and helpful. We approached the INTO, the Teachers' Organisation, and after a number of meetings, a scheme was hammered out whereby the senior children in the primary schools would collect local traditions at home following a little handbook which I drew up and which the Department of Education printed and sent to the various schools. And this scheme was put into operation uh, to take the place of composition, as it had been until then, composition in Irish and in English. The children collected the material at home in the evenings at weekends and wrote it into their copybooks in school and then transferred some of it into large standard notebooks which were sent out by the Department of Education, one to each school. In that way, we have now in the Department of Irish Folklore at University College, we have about half a million pages of material collected by the children between July 1937 and December 1938. The school's collection is really fascinating.
2: Invaluable information gathered and written by 12- and 13-year-olds from all over Ireland. For instance, local cures. Warts.
5: Get a black snail in the meadow and rub him to the warts. Then stick him on a white-thorn bush and a cording, as he is withering the wart w- withers too. Bedwetting. Get a haymatch and boil him in a saucepan of milk. When he is boiled, give the milk to the person afflicted with the, d- the disease. This has been known to cure many.
2: Old beliefs.
5: You should never cut a baby's nail in in its first year. You should never open an umbrella over you in a house. You should never enter a house with a spade or any other implement on your shoulders. You should never strike one with an elder stick. You should never whistle in the house at night time. You should never go to the well for water at night. You should never burn a pack for playing cards. You should never enter a house going from a funeral.
2: Many of these bits and pieces found their way into Belidus a magazine edited by Seamus Larga for close on 40 years. Not these alone, I need hardly add, but scholarly articles written by experts on folk tradition and material gathered by the Commission's full-time and part-time collectors in the field. Here's a folk tale gathered by Toby Cavanagh, a teacher living in the Roar, County Kilkenny, from an old farmer's wife 40 years ago.
6: There was a boy one time and he had a hump on his back. The boy had and the way he had for living is fishing with a fishing rod every day a gentleman's daughter used to buy all the fish he used to catch trouts, eels and everything he should come home through wood every night when he'd be coming home he was coming this night and there was three men cobbling old brogues they called them lure and three lamps with them in the ditch the boy come up to him and he says oh lord you're working very late "'Ash, what can poor men do?' says one of them. "'You must give me some money now,' says the boy, to them. "'Oh, where we get money for you?' says another of them. "'Well,' says the boy, to him, "'you must give me the money whatever.' So one of them said, "'Do you see what's running up the trees, says he? So when the boy looked behind him, they were gone. The boy come home to the mother, and he told her what he met in the wood. Well, she says, you're the luckiest man in the world, she says to him, if ever you see them again. Because any one meets them, they give him a lot of money. About a fortnight's time, again he was coming, and they were cobbling again, and he bethought of what the mother said, not to look behind him, you know. And he come up to the men again, and he said, you're working very late again tonight he be thought of what the mother said not to look behind him for his life they told him there was fire behind him and everything and he would not look behind him no matter what they'd say and in the long run they slashed him on the ground for a long time when he opened his eyes the ground and all around him was covered with money and the hump and all gone off his back he come home to the mother and the mother didn't know who he was they brought out the box the next morning early and they filled it with the money and they brought it home to the house. He married the gentleman's daughter he used to be selling the fish to. Another fellow then had another hump on his back and he asked him how did he get the hump off his back. He said he met little men in the wood and they took the hump off his back and that's the only way he could get it off. So this fellow, then, he met them fellas in the wood some night again and he was asking the money like the other of them and they slashed him on the ground again and when he got up, he had two humps on his back.
2: Stories such as that were collected in their hundreds by the likes of Michael J. Murphy, who has given a lifetime service to the commission.
7: Well, I suppose I came to be associated with the former Folklore Commission by chance I'd written a book called At Gullion's Foot and it dealt with folklore and it was a collection of articles and things like that about the Sleavegullion country. And then Professor de Lagey, when he read it, asked me would I care to collect on a part-time basis in our own area, which I did. Then later on he asked me to go through the mornings, which I did. I spent about two years walking through it and meanwhile got married and then about 1949 asked me to go to the Glen Hull country, that's the foothills of the Spurgeons in Toronto. And my wife came with me, you see, and we had a young family. And it, it, it was important because you have to integrate yourself into a community, you know, it's, it's more the people getting to know you and what what you're after, rather than you're getting to know them, and it takes time. You can't rush this thing. Well, from Tyrone, we went to Antrim, to a place called Laid outside uh, Cushendhal, and from that to Ballycastle to collect in the North Antrim, and from there I went over to Rattlin for a few times, a few years, and then back to the Mordens again, and from there I collected through the remainder of the, the modern country, around Kilbrony and up there. I'm sure I met the last of the real folk storytellers a man called Dan Rooney, since dead. And across the loch, Meath, Cooley, Carlingford. And from that, I went to... Um, up the Head country, all round there, and into Loud, town of Loud, Rearstown, Town, that's the whale goose lodge area, all through Monaghan. And at the moment, I'm in Calvin, Gleitham and Slago. But uh, I'm back living in the Gullion country, so I'm like the hare in the chest, you know. The folk story says, when the hare's hunted from the den, it'll always come back to it. And the hare's a good symbol for the folk tale anyway.
2: Under the expert guidance of O'Delarga, Kevin Danaher and Sean O'Sullivan, the Commission's collection grew and grew, In the ethnographical section of the archive, Kevin Danaher gathered 25,000 photographs, plans, sketches and diagrams of the visible aspect of tradition. The library, under Dr Tom Wall, now houses more than 20,000 books. But the main bulk of information amassed by the Commission consists of manuscript or typescript copies of traditions which had previously been preserved by memory and transmitted orally from one generation to another, and was, for the first time, written down from the recital of mainly middle-aged or elderly informants. Luckily, the birth of the commission coincided with the birth of the era of the recording machine. Leo Cordoff is in charge of sound recording at the department.
8: The bulk of the material was recorded in the Gaelthacht areas, from Donegal right around the coast to Mayo, Galway, Clare, Kerry, right around into Waterford. We got a mixture of folk tales, song, and the music. We've got recordings of uh, songs, ballads, pipe music. I remember one great piper, uh, Johnny Dorn. Johnny was regarded as being one of the best pipers in the country. He was killed. In an accident. We've got a few of his recordings. Unfortunately, not enough. We've, as I said earlier on, about folk tales told by various people, different parts of the country.
0: (laughs) Haraf Nakana Pueras <laughs> Rang Pujagas <laughs> Gioskir of Taviksa, Shananima Harna, Druhot Mol Lumini. The first Rang Darvanim the Shona breed Agas Tairid, the Tree Eheni Kaila, who are Karn Moor Arigit, Erg Mol Lumini. A shoe, she is a good source, a good nonce now, a good. Trafnuno and Siguloy, Hanik Shannar Lea Higgy. Compartone with her son Shannar Les, Hammer Fierchen, sort of Suganson, is the three are Nissens kyrkan som de går här in i och se karnmurarna de det Leo? Är se en ó Porque este licenciado que na polo. Ah, a senhor Vadovietra, de
2: Irish still lives in the parish where Mihal O'Connilwa recorded that story. The sad thing about collecting folklore, however, is that very often one is collecting the last of something priceless. This is an ediphone recording of Paddy Power of Glenmore, County Kilkenny, the last native Irish speaker of that county. It was made in 1936. Kevin Danaher it was who made the only recordings ever made of the last of the Great Travelling Pipers. Johnny Doran came to Dublin on his way from Wexford just after the war and pitched his tent by a wall in Churchtown. A few days after these recordings were made, the wall fell in a gale, and perhaps the greatest piper, certainly the greatest real player ever recorded, was killed. The Commission placed a special emphasis on the growth of tradition. Listen to Peg Sayers talking about her life on the Blaskets.
9: Saint Don Moore and Bow a stitches the will left all Satour. A four real year, a shan Bowl as Massa and Connie on the will that will bring a down void a year. Neil Faskin up for him, way and teen the quick own. Neil for him only a doing nine asses. Begantin geshere boga taqsi viayay. Toshay diyantsa, en mar E vekhno na paragek ekwni. Tagus lakiyam blendom khaylawon. Asawon e viugus melanay. Ni revsov the Vivron Fenagasaho was fain lay humper against Cachdena own Agaslake Waltheed. The land aun Rome over the fish, Mar the Vedish among some aye. As Benaki, a has Mohegan tovarain Laboy, a stag Agasamach, and goe do a yagas near do a lag and Da gadi som, der kaurdei ermade. Gsuete flock noet interessant nei. Es meik er vegan da var. Ihnteli, bi flock seyriko. Ach es kupada fo naqation. Aha es komosam, kuna yergne. Binche sa ostelese, maat kemeseto gun tilenam. Agas e kirer teerdo, es e no atischte Děvich je on třasná. Děvich a that we are all jobčili looking at. Even though this virus'smm Verfj wine wine, it's not gross, we are living in global木. We were at North of Thompson, bin bi ar lokol agas ba yokere wasa hostol manara ta hir bi ar wa kuno ya khodiri bikorna ya khlosu koy hir nokol bi ar wa sa yaqofi ya digi graidi tis ta khats koy agas wa kadiskir ni khosi dis pokol bi ar wa nogi graidi tis kitas koy War Sayers.
2: The commission employed two full-time collectors of Irish folk song for several years. From the Glens of Antrim to Doon they ranged and in Donegal they met a travelling man who could not only tell a good story but played the fiddle at the kitchen dances as well. His name was Mickey Doherty and he was a great character by all accounts.
10: There was an old fiddle player one time lived in Glenfinn and he only had the two tunes. But he was asked to go to the dance to Letcher hello a town land they call Letcher hello And on his way going, he had the fiddle with him, and he didn't care for going, he only had the two tunes. And as he was going along a lonely part of the road, there come a wee red-haired man out afore him, and the wee man asked him where he was going. He said he was going to a dance and let your hell you when he would far rather not go and counter him only having the two tunes, and he knowed there would be a big crowd there, and it would be hard to play them in music. So the wee man he to him, what kind of a fiddle is says have you What he? So he took the fiddle out from under his coat, and he showed the fiddle to the wee man. And the wee man examined her. And he run his fingers across the strings three times, and he handed the fiddle back to him. Well, go on to see uh, to this fiddle player, says he, go on, he says, and don't be cowardly, he says, and go into the dance, he says, the night, he says, there'll be no other fiddle player there, he says, lucky So on he went, and when he come into the dance house, there was a very big crowd. And uh, he took his set to play for them. And when he drew out the fiddle, he drew the bow on her. And she was twice as loud. And there wasn't a tune of a hundred tunes but he had. They all got up to dance and they said they never heard a fiddler in this world like him. So he played on to the morning. And in fact, he was able to raise the roof of the house with music. But uh, he was the best fiddle player who was supposed to be in this county. And he uh, was a good fiddle player all his life and lived to be very old. And when he took death, on his deathbed, the fiddle was hung above him, for he was lying. And when he departed, the fiddle busted on the wall. fiddle-busted on the wall when he departed. He was the name of Hurden. He was from a town lander called Garwin Hill.
2: Leo Kardov, the research folklorist in charge of recordings, is following in his father's footsteps. For Mihalo Korovev from Rostuch, County Mayo, was one of the commission's collectors. Let's eavesdrop on him as he talks to a neighbour, Johnny Nachtin, about the farming traditions of his district.
11: Can I am always going to be a little bit more than 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 a little The Tantalus Correa Tifa Tauri. Tallus Correa the Craton. and så the law. Jiggim and I Nolan. Yeah. For <laughs> from Nola the Mm-hmm. Well, our, well, um, and was Fui Havon. Fui Havon. Rolten a floor, oh, since, uh, high Flealtro not us but we're not here. That- doesn- doesn- oh, so. We've almost to say, which means God does not always choose. Yeah. I think God should be very Well. Get to be here, Dono to go to the hospital and get your horses 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 and get your yeah. Look, shit, my See him in a nice. But, Kedden, where would you off? You're a bit. You're a I'm not watching. i you? no, The Commission
2: had its faults, being a human institution. It's often said that it should have made its recordings public, but it should be emphasised that collecting was the Commission's main purpose. It simply hadn't got the resources, human or financial, to make all or even much of its collected lore available to the public. But nobody can deny that commission Commission Béalidesa has done tremendous work, and the dedicated people who did it have never failed to acknowledge the part played by the ordinary people of Ireland in their task of collecting and preservation.
1: I am the most dissatisfied of all because I realize that what we did under great difficulties, with indifference and frustration very often our lot, but consoled by one outstanding feature which must be emphasized, the heartfelt and persistent an unremitting cooperation of the ordinary people of Ireland. The silent people who had so much to say and nobody had ever asked them to say anything. The world that we faced was a world obscured by blathers. It's a good, honest to god north antrim word, and I use it deliberately. There was too much talk and not enough not enough action. And we faced that, that situation.
2: The question now remains, is there much left to collect?
7: Well, yes, there is. you know, each area you go to... Now, I've about uh, 30 years, and once you go into an area, people will say, ah, if you'd only been here 10 years ago, or even five years ago, such you fair. Nevertheless, there's somebody there who has it. And even today now, where I am in Gevlin and round Glenfarn, or even in Lake Suey, around Sligo, places like that, or Ballin above Loch Allen, they say the same thing. Nevertheless, I'm getting these masses of material, meeting people with folklore and folk stories, people that they didn't suspect had this information. Some of these people are very shy. And it takes time for to find them out and... I suppose one develops an instinct for this. You have a feeling that a certain man or woman has this material, and they're afraid of appearing foolish or ridiculous. And of course, you have to get over these inhibitions because into the countryside, even more so even today, the people do not want to admit that they know folklore because it's been equated with mental backwardness, social backwardness, and all this kind of thing. And. Things like this, you know, occasionally on the air, is, it is helping them, or little things printed. they, be, they do like it, uh, but they need to be assured of its value. Do you know its purpose? Uh, I say, for instance, it the way, I look at it and explain that. we are collecting in the present, in the present, uh, rather present day, on the products of the past for the purposes of the future. No, even there in Black Lion and Cavern, I've met a young man from the Cavern for border. Incidentally, I get material from, do <laughs> not use this phrase, all religions and classes. And he's a wonderful folk storyteller. Nobody suspected this. And he's a man about 59. Wonderful. So it still comes up. There are people who don't like
2: the word folklore. They prefer something like local history. Would you agree?
7: Yes, I suppose uh, again it's it's the that inferiority complex about the word folk and folklore that it's equated always with the backward people, and local history seems to elevate it a bit socially, do you know? But we explain all this that uh, as well as local history w- would be confined to certain elements in an area. Whereas, I explained to them that folklore is the history of the people, told by the people themselves for the first time. That conventional history, you see, uh, kings, princes, principalities and all that, they've neglected about 98% of the people. And... We not only want the tales that people can tell, but the details of their lives, living and everything, and their fathers, grandfathers, as far back as they can remember. The houses they lived in, how they dressed, implements they used, what they said, what they thought, prayers they use, complete life. You know, it's a vast and intricate social survey now, that's what it is. So it extends a wee bit further, I would say, than the uh, confines of pure local history.
2: The Commission is now a university department, and the man who succeeded Seamus Odellarga, Boo Almquist, has his plans for the future.
3: I think that there are opportunities here in Ireland that you will not have anywhere else of seeing how a tradition changes and develops. To see, for instance, in the Geltacht areas, what traditions disappear, what remains there and what is adopted to new conditions. Also, we have got in our collections a great deal of material from people who are now dead, but their sons and daughters are still alive, and I think it's important to talk to them, collect from them, and see how the material changes from generation to generation. As you know, we are also now, for the first time, starting teaching of folklore. Uh, folklore is a, honour subject, second and third year, and we have got five pupils. It's very small a number, all right, but it is a beginning.
2: We have time for one further example of the folktale. This is from the magazine Berlidus. It was collected in County Kilkenny by Toby Kavanagh.
12: There was a man and a woman in it one time. They had only one son. They was living between two mountains and the name the man went be always was the Knight of the Glen. The son said he'd go seek his fortune What you said he losing his time in a little cabin that way. So he started off this morning to look for work and he got lodging this night in a house. He was dressed, you know, in his best, you see. The man of the house asked him, was he a labouring man? And what sort of a man was he? He said he was a coachman. He travelled away the next morning out of that house again. And he got lodging then in another house that night again. The man asked him, was he a labouring man or what way had he for a living? So he said he was a coachman. The man told him there was a gentleman's house only a few fields from him. And he might keep him. They always keeps a coachman, he said. The next morning he went down to the house. There was no one at home but the lady herself and all the servants. He went in and he asked for a drink. He said to the cook he was tired. He was after a batter and everything. Could he rest himself? The cook went up and the lady said he could stay as long as he liked. He was some poor fellow after a batter. So he got his breakfast. He was whistling, going about the yard and everything, and the lady was above stairs in the window watching him. He was bringing in sticks and everything for the cook. He stayed in the hall of the day in it, and then he stayed that night in it. The next morning he was up early again, and he come in. He was whistling and going about the yard at the day again, and it wasn't long when the lady herself come down. And he took a hold of her. The cook said he'd be hung. She was a lord's daughter. Well, if she's a lord's daughter, I'm a knight's son, he said. The lady told the cook not to say anything at all to him. He was only a wild young fella. The lady couldn't be kept out of the kitchen then at all. The father was home then, then the next day. The lady told the father he was a knight's son father himself fell into discourse he said he should send one of his men to see the place the father gave one of his men a horse a bridle and saddle and he was going off and the boy met him well now you says he, you're going away and you're the man able to do all for me and if you do that for me I'll make a gentleman of you all the days of your life so the man said he would he started off whatever and he was inquiring for the night of the glen. He met a man on the road, and he told him where the house was. So he went up whatever. There was no one there, but the old man and the old woman, ten goats and a pocah. They thought it was the son was after coming home again to them. And the man told them that the sun would be soon home again. He tied the horse in the yard. What they had for their dinner was oat and bread and goat's milk, the old man put up a board across his two knees for a table and then they had three stones for three chairs to sit down and eaten off the old man's knees. And while he was eaten there was then hardly men playing music at the door so he had no more than to see only all the mountains and he come home. He brought him down in the room to tell him all. He asked him had he a great land the man said what land he had wouldn't be through it in a fortnight, galloping a horse every day. All the mountains, don't you know? And the table, he said, we dined off. He wouldn't give it to you for what you're worth. And there was ten Harnik men playing music while he was 18. So they were married, whatever, then, in a few days. Then the Lord says, this day, it would be time for you to take your lady to acquaint her with your people, he said. So the fellow said he had only a little cabin. He had no place to bring her. The boy made up the fellow that done all the work for him. The gentleman got bad. He was taken in so nice. And he died Whatever. I'd know what way they went on after that.
2: The commission is no more. On the 28th of September, 1971, it became Rhine Valley de as at University College Dublin. On that occasion, Professor de Largy quoted a passage from a book on Northern Canada, not inappropriate in the present context. My journey was over, but I was still tied to the place, not by the simple web of memories alone, but by something more powerful. There was, and is, an abiding affection in my heart for the men and women who lent me their eyes, so that I was privileged to look backwards through the dark void of dead years and to see not only the relic of forgotten times, but also into the minds and thoughts of the men of those times. It was a great gift I had from the people, and one that deserved a
5: repayment. On de Berlidicin has helped in large measure to repay.